Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 131 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 26th of October 2014, entitled The Genesis Account Part 8, The Acuteness of Man's Fall. And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Right, I invite you to stand to honour the reading of God's Holy Word this morning, as we take our reading from Genesis chapter 3, the first 15 verses. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Father, we thank you again this morning, Lord, from the depths of our heart, for the privilege that we have to be your children. Lord, for the privilege that we have to be in your house this morning, We realize that, Lord, we take it so for granted, but there are many around the world that, Lord, either don't have the freedom or don't have the place. But, Father, you've given us this place. Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege of reading from your word here this morning, knowing the presence of your spirit within us. Lord, we know that even as we gather here that Satan would love to distract our minds and our thinking and our attention onto something totally different than your word. But, Father, we pray by the power of your Spirit, Lord, distractions would be put away. 
Lord, let our hearts be spoken by that voice that can only come from you. Lord, may you take and use these words today to speak to our hearts in a way that in some way would change us and make us more like our Savior. If there be anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we pray especially and specifically for them this day. Lord, if there be one that's been blinded that maybe or thinks that they have more than what they have and they need more than religion, they need the person of Jesus Christ. Father, maybe there's someone walking afar off that just needs to be drawn closer or maybe one of your children Lord, they just need to know your loving arms this morning. They need to be reminded of just how much you love them, how near you are to them. Lord, whatever the need, we commit it to you and pray that you would meet the needs as only you can for your glory, for your honor alone. Of course, in Christ's name alone that we pray, amen and amen. I think this is the eighth in our series on the Genesis account, looking at the foundations that are laid for us here and why that they are foundational and fundamental to our faith. We've looked at the authority of God's Word, the assertion of God's existence, the absoluteness of God's creation, the advancement of the human race, the accountability of mankind, the administration of home life, and how that all of these things have their foundations here in the book of beginnings. We began looking week before last at the acuteness of man's fall. As we continue to look at this today, I remind you that we look first of all in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, at the entrance of Satan. This is where in our Bibles that we see Satan first coming on the scene. And then immediately following that, in that same verse, we see the enticement of the woman. Satan came on the scene. The first thing that he did was to entice the woman to disobey God. He lied to her there in the garden. He was the great deceiver, and she was totally deceived by him. And then we looked thirdly at the error of man. And we saw as we looked Old Testament and New Testament that, yes, that Eve was beguiled. She was deceived. But man made the biggest error he could ever make. He disobeyed God. He chose to do that which God had told him not to do. So now as we continue from that, I want us to direct our attention beginning in, in verse 7 uh, this morning. And we're going to look at the estrangement of God. So Satan enters in. He entices the woman. Man makes this huge error, and the next thing that we see in this account is the estrangement. What do we mean by an estrangement? Well, an estrangement is when something is divided. It's when it's separated. It's when two things are alienated from each other. Matter of fact, one of the most common uses of the words today would be when we'd be talking about men and women or divorce or a husband or a wife being estranged from the other. All of the unity is broken and they are no more bound together. I've heard it said and I've read it in a number of places that one of Satan's greatest tools and probably one of his most useful and successful devices is simply to bring about division. 
to bring about disunity between partners. You see, if he divides, he has a better chance of conquering. Even man knows when he fights his battles, divide and conquer. When forces are bound together, they're much harder to overcome. Division. He wants to bring about division through sin. He wants to do anything he can to estrange or separate us from God. He wants divisions with each other. Between families in the home, anything that he can, whether it's to divide the, the husband and the wife or the children and the parents, between Christians in the church. <laughs> A pastor knows no greater sorrow, carries no greater burden than to see how Satan divides, disunifies, and conquers within the church body. If we were to stay unified in Jesus Christ and in his word, Satan wouldn't have a chance. But he slips in and he divides. And this is whole of what this, part of what this whole long series is about in contending for the faith, not allowing him to divide us and bring us into disunity. Anything that will divide and bring disunity will help him to conquer one of the reasons that we need to spend the amount of time that we have on this whole idea of earnestly contending for the faith, a faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Because Satan has been very successful in dividing and bringing disunity within the church and amongst Christendom as a whole. You see, one of the ways that Satan tries to deceive is through, as we see here in the garden, just lying and confusing the issue. And we'll be looking at that idea this evening, God willing, in our sermon on the simplicity in Christ or the subtleties of Satan. But we see that as he comes in here, true unity is only going to be found in truth. There can never be true unity if it's based on a lie. That's an impossibility. Even common sense would tell us that. So if he can just maybe, you've heard of muddying the water a little bit, <laughs> you know, fogging the mind a bit just so that the Christian or the unbeliever, anybody can't see clearly. He will, of necessity, have a greater chance of succeeding. He started, we saw week before last, he started here in the garden as soon as he came on the scene. He started with a lie. He brought about division. He brought about disunity. And we know that he continues to do the same. We've already seen in Scripture where that he'll do that as long as he is here till he's put away forever. Oh, the truth is, is that each and every one of us can be divided without even realizing it a lot of times. We can be divided with, I guess, on different levels. 
And the greater that Satan can divide, the greater his chance to prevail, we can be divided with some of the brethren over things that have been commanded by God because of standing upon certain truths and others not. We can be divided because we disobey God. We don't simply do it as God tells us to do it. You see, we should, every one of us, be striving for unity in the home with each other and with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. The only way to defeat Satan is to stand united. But it doesn't matter how united we are together if we're not united with God, if we're not united in the truth. It is a false unity if it's based upon a lie and Satan will wheedle his way in. The truth must come from God. John Wesley tells of a dream, a dream that he had himself, and he said in that dream he saw himself being ushered to the gates of hell. And as he stood there before the gates of hell, he called out and asked, are there any Presbyterians in there? Yes. Are there any Baptists in there? Yes. Are there any Anglicans in there? Yes. Are there any Methodists in there? Yes. He was shocked. I mean, these were, the, I guess, some of the denominations that he knew the most about, and yet he's asking, and there's people from all of them answering him from the place in hell. He was so distressed. He said, then he was ushered to the very gates of heaven. And as he continued to dream, he asked that same question. Are there any Presbyterians in there? No. Are there any Baptists? Are there any Methodists? Are there any Anglicans? No. 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 They were all yes in hell, but they were all no in heaven. He was shocked. He said, well, who's in there then? And he said, only Christians. <laughs> there are no Baptists. There are no Methodists. There are no Presbyterians. And you see, the truth is that as we look around us, sometimes it it's troublesome, and it should be, that God's people can be so divided on so many issues. Well, the truth is, is that I can't become a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Pentecostal or whatever that it might be because they're united in what they believe is the truth. We're united in what we see is the truth, and we say, well, it's just an absolute evidence, folks, as we look around. Does God want us all to be divided? No. God doesn't want all his people split in all these splinters and groups and everything that's out there. That's not what, that is a sign of the success that Satan has had in dividing Christians right down through the centuries. What can we do about it? Well, we can't undo what he's done, but we can still stand upon the truth today. 
we can still realize and understand that we have an enemy that's not only wanting to divide us with all of our other brothers and sisters in Christ, but divide us from each other right here in our own church. Division. Disunity. And that, my friend, though we'll never totally fix it, and we may be sometimes puzzled over the best way to handle it because we don't maybe want these divisions, and yet they're all there. We can't simply throw away the truth in order to have unity. We must stand unified with God on his truth to the best of our ability. But let us remember as well, our brothers and sisters in Christ are not our enemies. And part of what we've been looking at in all of this series, I think is up to 140-some sermons now, is contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to us. Can we be deceived? You better bet your booties, as they say. <laughs> Any one of us can be deceived. We get outside of the truth. And that's Satan's great strategy. And that's what he's looking at. And that, as we look today, that is what we're talking about in the estrangement with God. That is precisely the kind of division that we turn our attention to today because this is where it began, right there in the Garden of Eden. The entrance of Satan, the enticement of the woman, the error of the man is followed by an estrangement with God, a separation a division, a disunity. Now remember, first of all, that we've already seen that part of Satan in his subtly, the first thing he did was, was caught this woman when she was on her own. I mean, there are only two of them. At this point, there's just Adam and Eve. But he catches her when she's separated from him, when she's out there in the garden on her own. You see, even then, she was in more danger than when the two of them were together. But then, by enticing her to sin, he immediately brought about a division between that husband and wife that God himself had put together forever. Because then one of them is still in innocence. One of them is now fallen into sin. So the first thing he did was divide that unified couple that God himself had joined together there in the garden. And of course, once he had done that, once he had brought about that disunity between the husband and the wife, that state of disunity, man was always more susceptible to falling. When they were united together in innocence, they would have naturally been stronger and wiser together than they are now when they've been divided by sin. Satan was clever. He's still clever. We don't give him credit for being as clever as he really is sometimes. But of course, when man then chose to sin, we then have both the man and the woman 
falling into sin together, but becoming estranged from God because of that. Notice what he says here in verse 7 and 8. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Their relationship with God had just been changed forever. There was now an estrangement, a rift, a separation, whatever you want to call it, in that once perfect relationship. The innocence that Adam and Eve had known was gone. You see, just a few verses back in chapter 2, verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Suddenly here, their eyes are open, and what was it? They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and when they heard the voice of God, they hid themselves because they were naked. God was there. Sin had entered in. And following their sin, that innocence was now replaced with something totally different called guilt and shame. They recognized their nakedness and were trying to hide it, both by putting fig leaves on and then by hiding amongst the trees in the garden. That perfect communion with God had been destroyed. They were now hiding from his very presence. Here they are, hiding amongst the trees. Verse 9 says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, God didn't ask Adam this question because that God needed to know, because God didn't know where he was. Rest assured, God knew exactly where Adam was at. He knew exactly what he had done, and there is no hiding from God. God was asking the question because Adam needed to know. He was asking the question because Adam needed to admit to himself where he was, why he was there. Adam, where are you, Adam? His response, verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, interestingly, at this point, God says, where are you, Adam? Well, Adam does admit some things. He admits, first of all, that he's afraid of God's voice and presence. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Lord. He admits to being ashamed of this new condition. I'm, I'm, I'm naked. <laughs> I had to hide myself from you. He even admits, yes, God, 
I was trying to hide from you. <laughs> I didn't want you to see me. But you know, in all of this, there's absolutely no sign of confession of doing anything wrong. Yeah, Lord, <laughs> I was afraid and I was ashamed and I was trying to hide. But I've not done anything wrong. You see, being ashamed of your sin, whatever it is, being ashamed of your nakedness outside of Christ isn't enough. Many people think that because they're sorry for something and they maybe even cry all these crocodile tears, that everything is okay. Being sorry isn't enough. A person can try to hide if they want. But friends, you can't hide from God. And you cannot ever in any way, under any circumstances, hide from the consequences of sin. You can't. The devil, just like he did, oh yes, he is very, very, very good at convincing people to believe something that isn't true. We've already seen Eve was beguiled. Eve was deceived. Adam chose. But the Bible said they were both guilty in the transgression. They were both guilty of the sin. Problem is, God's giving them a chance here, but he's not willing to admit it. You know, Judas was so ashamed. He was so remorseful. If you turn to Matthew chapter 27, he felt so bad about what he had done that he went and he admitted it to those men of power that he had done it for. He even gave them their blood money back. He was so sorry, he even went out and hung himself. But there is absolutely no record of him ever confessing his wrong, his sin to the one person that mattered. He confessed it to other people. Sometimes down here, people think somehow just because that you feel sorry for it and you're ashamed and then you even confess it to somebody else that everything will be okay. Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 to 5. The Bible says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, speaking of Jesus, repented himself and brought again, that word there, repented himself, talks about that he was very remorseful, so much so that it says he brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, the ones that had paid it to him, let them know who Jesus was, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Did Judas know that he had sinned? Yes, he knew it. Yes, he felt bad about it. Yes, he was remorseful for it. And they said, what is that to us? <laughs> See that to that. In other words, <laughs> that's your problem. It's got nothing to do with me. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Only God knows where Judas is at today. 
But I'm simply saying that the Bible nowhere shows us where this man ever did anything else except go to an eternity in hell. And he knew he'd done wrong. He was sorry for what he had done wrong. He felt remorseful for what he had done wrong. Jesus, on his very way, just after the Bible tells us that he had stumbled under having to, to carry his own cross. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, you find that Jesus predicted something here on his way to the cross, on his way to be hung. Notice what he says in, Matthew, or in, in Luke chapter 23. Let's just pick up in verse 27. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. Jesus is heading to Calvary to be hung on the tree. There are those that are following, that are crying, that are sad, that are hurt because of what's going on. And Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren. Blessed is anybody that, that doesn't have a child and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills. Cover us. Jesus said there's coming a day when they'll regret. We can look at a lot of reasons. Even having a child. They'll be begging and pleading to be hid from God for the very mountains and hills to fall on them and to cover them up. Well, John, in Revelation chapter 6, I can only imagine that he is speaking of the same prophecy that Jesus himself was talking about. Jesus said it was going to come, and then John, when he was carried away into his vision, he actually saw this taking place during the years of great tribulation here upon this earth. In Revelation chapter 6, notice what it says after the sixth seal has been broken. And there in verse 15 it says, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that from the very beginning when the first sin was committed in the Garden of Eden until the very end when the very wrath of God is being poured out, man, in his fallen estate, has been ashamed and fearful 
of the holy God, even to the point of trying to hide from God, even when he's come to recognize that he's wrong, when he's come to recognize that he's got to answer to that God, and yet his natural inclination is to hide, to not have to face him. But that isn't enough. Not from beginning to end. It's never been enough. God asked another question. And again, it's not for his own information or knowledge here because just as God sees everything, he definitely knows everything. He's asking again for Adam's sake in verse 11, and he said, Adam, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Do you remember what we said sometimes? These old English words mean so much, it can tell us so much. Do you remember that when we see that these pronouns that are beginning with a TH, the Ys are plural, the TH means you. <laughs> it's singular. Man, God is getting direct and very personal and straight on with Adam because God knows what's going on in his mind and in his head. Adam, where are you? Well, God, you know, I heard your voice and I was afraid of you because I was naked and I, and I hid myself from you. Adam, who told you this? Who told thee that thou wast naked? How did you know that you were naked? Have you eaten of that tree, the tree that I commanded you that you shouldn't eat? There can be no missing. Adam, I am talking directly to you as an individual. Adam. He's asking him to recognize for himself, to confess that he is the one that's done something wrong, that he is the one that has brought about this new condition, the cause that he wants to hide himself from God. After such close, sweet communion, What's brought about this state of estrangement? What has come between them to break that sweet fellowship? Well, of course, we can stand back and we can read the whole story and we know that it's sin. Sin is the key here to what Adam has done, but the key is that he must personally recognize that it's his sin, that it's what he has done, that he has become estranged with God because of his sin, sin that he personally committed and brought about his own personal estrangement with God. Now, though God already knew exactly what Adam had done, the important thing here is that Adam needs to confess it. Adam, have you disobeyed me? Adam, 
Have you done what I told you not to do? Man is always reluctant to admit that guilt in his fallen state, in his sinfulness, but without it, repentance will never come. Sadly, our instinct is to look for an excuse, look for something else or someone else to blame. Verse 12, and the man said, the woman whom thou gavest me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. God's question was direct, personal. What have you done, Adam? His response, it's that woman. God, she gave it to me. In his now fallen state, instead of just confessing, yes, God, I disobeyed. I messed up. He instinctively tries to shift the blame to somebody else. It's her fault, God. Surely you can see this, God. It's, it's that woman's fault. That's not all. What, if you would, boggles my mind even more about this is notice how Adam is saying this. And the man said, the woman whom thou, you, that woman that you personally gave to me, God, God, in fact, you know what? You're kind of responsible for this. <laughs> I mean, after all, you're the one that gave that woman to me in the first place. It goes to show us what we're talking about when we say the acuteness, the depths of man's fall. Remember, Adam was not deceived. He knowing everything that he did, he knowingly transgressed against God's word. And now, in his fallen state, he not only will not take responsibility for that sin, he wants to shift the blame to everybody except himself. At this point, there's only two other people that Adam has ever laid eyes on, God and Eve. I mean, he was there, God talked to him, God had given him Eve, but that was the only two people he knows, and so that's the only people he can shift the blame to. So guess what? He's blaming it on both of them, anybody but me. Every question God asked Adam was explicitly personal to Adam. But Adam, God, man, it's that woman. And if, if, you know, if you hadn't given her to me, I'd been all right. You gave me that woman, and look what she's done. Okay, Adam, we'll come back to you in a moment. <laughs> Let's deal with that woman for a minute. You see, Adam isn't the only one involved in the sin. God is simply asking him personally to face up to his own guilt. What about that woman that you're so anxious to blame it on? Verse 13, and the Lord God said unto the woman, 
What is this that, what's the next word in your Bible? Thou hast done. And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. (laughs) When the woman is asked to respond, again, God personal to her, what is this that you have done? Well, let me tell you what the serpent did. (laughs) Eve, what have you done? Let me tell you what the serpent did. She had met somebody that Adam hadn't met. Adam blamed everybody he knew. It was everybody except him. But even, in fact, as a matter of fact, she'd met more than she even realized she had met at this point. <laughs> she'd come face to face with Satan himself, though he was in the person of that serpent. In the deception, she didn't know who he really was. Does that sound a little bit familiar? When Satan so many times comes to deceive us, he doesn't come dressed in his red suit and his horns and his pitchfork, does he? He'll come in the most deceptive form that he possibly can. But she's immediately, let me tell you what this other person I met did. Let me tell you what the serpent did. In fact, what she says is true. She really was beguiled. Even God tells us that later. She was beguiled. She was deceived by the serpent. However, as we've already looked at in Scripture, that doesn't make her innocent just because she was tricked, just because she didn't know it. She was in the transgression also, the Bible said. Being deceived didn't make her any less guilty of the sin. But just like Adam, God is asking Eve this personal question. She needs to recognize her own sin. She needs to confess what she personally has done. God, he does deal with the serpent. He does deal with Satan directly, and we'll see that next time, God willing. But I want you to be reminded of something here. We're talking about the acuteness of man's fall. Everybody in this account is dealt with by God. Everybody that had anything to do with that original sin. But I'm just trying to help us to see the severity, the extremity, the depth, the acuteness of man's fall. We saw Satan come on the scene. We saw him entice the woman. We saw the man fall in his error into sin. But now all that has led us to this estrangement with God, being separated, being divided. Man. I mean, we've seen where he was created in the very pattern of God. He lived in a paradise of God's making. He was given his lifelong partner by by God himself. He was walking in perfect harmony. He was enjoying a precious fellowship that no one since has known so sweet. Now, to be parted, to be separated, for that to be broken, 
Why are these things so important to us? Well, hopefully we begin to grasp and understand. But I want to read you something in closing this morning. And I don't have time to read it all, but I'll make this point and we'll come back to it next time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to leave you with this thought. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice what he says, picking up in verse 17. He says, therefore, if any man be where? In Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, literally a new creation. Vital. We got to understand what happened in the garden Man fell, man was separated, man was divided, but in Christ we are a new creation, he says. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath what? Reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, Jesus. You see, I'll close with this thought and we'll come back to it. If Jesus Christ came, so that we could be reconciled to God. And if the ministry that he's left to you and I is that ministry of reconciliation, that ministry of men and women and boys and girls being reconciled to God, you can't have a reconciliation unless there's been an estrangement, unless there's been a separation, unless there's been and alienation. We'll look at some of those. But the truth is, is understanding what took place there in the garden. We see the simplicity, the simplicity of it all. And yet that man, because of that sin, was estranged from God. But in Jesus Christ, we can be a new creation. That sin that separates us is done away with in him. And it's only in then that we can have that relationship with God once again that's been broken for every human being since the garden. Father, we thank you this morning that, Lord, as we look at these simple truths, Lord, we're reminded, Lord, <laughs> of just how much you loved us, that even there in the garden, when man faltered, he didn't come in screaming and bellowing. <laughs> he came in asking him gently, where are you? Where are you? What 
have you done? And Lord, I'm sure that even here today, it's a question that needs to be asked of each of us. Where art thou? Where are you in relationship to God? God is the one that's asking the question. He knows where you are. But are you willing to admit where are you? Are you hiding from God today? Are you trying to avoid God for some reason? Father, as you ask these questions to us, I pray today, Lord, that you would work in the heart as only you can. Lord, that each of us would be honest this day. Father, we would ask her not with excuses or pointing fingers, but we'd just answer the simple questions for ourselves. Where are we? Where am I? Because, Lord, you're asking the question because you want us to recognize what that relationship can be. You want the relationship to be repaired. You want to be near to us and dear to us. So I pray today that you'd help us, help us to be more honest than Adam and Eve. Help us not to look for excuses or point the finger, but help us to recognize I did it. My fault, and it's only in Jesus Christ that it can be fixed. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. 